0: Welcome to the Holistic Beauty Podcast. We are going to chat all things holistic and integrative beauty and skin health. We are licensed naturopathic doctors practicing in sunny California, and we are changing how skincare is looked at. We want you to understand that skin health is a manifestation of balance from within. And each week, we are bringing you tidbits to complete your skincare routine from the inside out and the outside in. So let's get into it. Hey guys, even though we are doctors, we're not your doctors. So we want you to know that this podcast and the information on here is not medical advice. It is not meant to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any conditions or disease. And it's only meant for education, okay? So always speak to your doctor or licensed healthcare provider before starting anything new.
1: Alright, hey beauties, welcome back. This week we are diving into the skin barrier and how it's connected to different skin conditions that one may experience. So in today's episode, we'll be talking about what the skin barrier is, why it's important, what causes and triggers skin barrier disruption, what are some common skin conditions associated with a disruptive skin barrier, and how we support a healthy skin barrier holistically with skincare and internal options as well.
0: I'm stoked, I'm excited.
1: Yeah. I love talking about the skin barrier. It's something that I always address and I know you always address yeah. too with your skin patients. Yeah.
0: So. And we actually spoke about that during our acne episode and how it's such a, like a foundational aspect for us to focus on when really like recommending like um, skincare routines to our patients. So I'm really sucked that we're doing a deep dive.
1: Me too, so.
0: Like, this is a deep dive, guys. It's
1: It's pretty deep. It's pretty deep. We're doing, like, all deep dives this month, right? First (laughs) PCOS PCOS and now this. And we're going to try to cram this all in one episode. Yeah. So here we go. Dr. Bryant, tell us what the skin barrier is.
0: So the skin barrier has different layers um, that depend on each other's function for the entirety of the whole entire skin barrier to work effectively. And then there's going to be like the microbiome layer, the chemical layer, the physical layer, and the immune layer. So in regards to all of them, like what I said, they all like depend upon each other to help with the function of the skin barrier. And what the skin barrier does is that it really is meant to keep water in. But we'll speak more about that later. So in regards to these different layers, the microbiome layer consists of all the bacteria and other living organisms found on the skin so the microbiome layer is usually kept at bay with the acidic ph of the chemical layer which we'll speak about soon and when at balance the microbiome layer is mainly composed of staphylococcus epidermis and corneobacterium bacteria but when the ph kind of like goes off kilter it allows for the growth of staphylococcus aureus and other disease-causing bacteria and then moving on to the chemical layer the chemical layer is mainly composed of natural moisturizing factors so natural moisturizing factors like what the name kind suggests is meant to moisturize the skin but it also has other compounds in it and this chemical layer and naturally makes the skin acidic at a pH of 4 to 6 and this layer can be disrupted by skincare products with more alkaline pH and we we'll to be speaking mm. about like the causes and triggers of skin barrier disruption soon and then a layer deeper it's going to be the physical layer so the physical layer's purpose is to keep water in the skin this layer is composed of the stratum corneum so we spoke about this in last week's episode so we're going to talk we said we were going to talk about it this week, and let's talk about it. So the stratum corneum is the outermost layer of the skin-slash-epidermis, and it's in addition to a fatty layer um, called the lipid matrix. Corneocytes, which are basically the skin cells in the stratum corneum, naturally make the lipid matrix um, by making enzymes and releasing lipids that make fats, such as ceramides and cholesterols, and those are those things that keep water in the skin. And this layer can honestly be disrupted when there's an imbalance in the types of fatty acids, such as omega-6 to omega-3 ratios, which we spoke about during our acne episode, and um, any changes to um, thickness of the stratum corneum. And we actually spoke about changes to stratum corneum in our retinoids episode. And then uh, going even deeper, there's going to be the immune layer. This layer is composed of immune cells that prevent microbes from entering past the epidermis and play a role in regenerating the skin barrier. And interestingly enough, Dr. Marola, you taught me about another layer in the skin barrier.
1: Yeah, there's an antioxidant layer. I did not know about that barrier. So our skin has like this antioxidant defense system, which mm-hmm. is pretty neat. And I mean, it's necessary because yeah. think about all the pollutants that we're coming into contact with yeah. from the air, skincare uh, and products, water. Yeah, skincare products too. So within this layer, of course. They got a bunch of different antioxidants, including vitamin C, uric acid, and vitamin E, and CoQ10. That's so cool. CoQ10? Yeah. CoQ10 is naturally produced in the skin. So these antioxidants help counter oxidative stress in the epidermis and the dermis of the skin, which is pretty neat. And then another thing that's pretty neat, there's some evidence showing that with regards to vitamin E, the highest levels of vitamin E are found in sebum. And Interesting. in the skin lipid film where there are like sebum-rich areas of the skin. Yeah. So like the face, for instance. And the sebum helps transport the vitamin E from the blood to the surface of the skin.
0: That's so cool. Mm-hmm. And that's how it like plays a role in like the antioxidant protection of the skin.
1: Yeah, it's pretty neat. That is so cool. But Dr. Bryant, let's tell our listeners why the skin barrier is important? Why should we even care about it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I said earlier, like it's really great to keep water in the skin and keep the skin hydrated. But honestly, like the skin barrier is one of the body's first defenses against UV radiation, environmental exposures, chemicals, disease-causing bacteria, and so much more. So this outermost protective layer on your skin is so important for all of these. Mm-hmm. And then it keeps like your skin hydrated and dewy and glowy. Are we not like saying how important this is? You should really be supporting your skin barrier, guys. And honestly, like disruption to the skin barrier has been associated with various skin conditions that we'll speak about soon.
1: So when it comes to a disrupted or damaged skin barrier, there are several different causes and triggers of this. So we have external causes and internal causes, starting with external causes. Things that can disrupt your skin barrier include certain skincare products, frequent hand washing, sunlight, or UV exposure, and weather. When it comes to skincare products, basically if you're over-exfoliating using products with a pH that's more alkaline, for instance, retinoids, or facial cleansers that are maybe a little too harsh or abrasive on your face, these can all disrupt the different layers of the skin barrier and result in dryness, irritation, and other symptoms of skin barrier dysfunction. When you're frequently washing your hands, I know we've all experienced this, but you might have like hand dryness and redness and sensitivity. So this is because those harsh soaps, well, first of all, they're more alkaline. Mm-hmm. And then this pulls out the lipids or fat from the physical layer of our skin barrier mm-hmm. and natural moisturizing factor from the chemical layer. And that so can result in like
0: dry skin. Yeah, Dry hands.
1: Yeah. And then with the sunlight and UV exposure, it's been shown to affect the physical layer by disrupting that cell-to-cell adhesion and the fatty acid composition. So it's pretty much disrupting the lipid or fat barrier of the skin, mm-hmm. again, resulting in water loss. And with weather, cold weather has been also shown to cause skin barrier disruption and skin dryness by reducing natural moisturizing factor. And also dry and windy weather can also disrupt the skin barrier too. Yeah. So what about some of the internal triggers?
0: Yeah. So in regards to internal triggers, there's going to, definitely be like an inherited predisposition or some genetics. We do know that people who experience eczema have like a genetic predisposition. In regards to diet, there's actually like this dietary trigger that's actually really interesting. So there's this condition called systemic contact dermatitis and basically in systemic contact dermatitis, it's um, when somebody is allergic to something and when they're exposed to it, it could lead to symptoms that could look like a rash and disrupted skin barrier and some common food allergens that could lead to systemic contact dermatitis include some spices. Some food additives, some herbs, balsam of Peru, interestingly enough, mm. and seafoods due to nickel. And in regards to balsam of Peru, I was actually doing like a deep dive on this, and it's going to be like these cinnamon flavorings. Oh, I know, isn't that interesting? And then uh, in regards to eczema, we also know that there's like also like a um, connection between food intolerances triggering or exacerbating eczema. And then in regards to like gut health, since we're talking about like diet, you know, we do know that there's signs showing that the gut microbiome is linked to conditions that have skin barriers disruption. So there was a small study completed on individuals who have acne. And according to the study, um, uh, people with acne had different um, gut bacteria profiles compared to those without acne. And it's been hypothesized that these acne-causing changes to the gut microbiome slash like, gut bacteria populations could arise because of bacterial-related products that could increase inflammation in like, the blood, or, like inflammatory markers in circulation. And there's also like, really interesting literature that suggests that there are associations, you know, like links between small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO and H. pylori or helicobacter pylori infection with rosacea. Isn't that interesting?
1: You know what? I, yeah, I was actually looking or reading about rosacea the other day, mm-hmm. and I discovered that too. Yeah, it's so really that's interesting. Pretty interesting.
0: And then um, in regards to eczema, it has been linked to gut microbiome imbalance. And then in regards to psoriasis, which is another condition where people experience um, skin barrier disruption, it's also been um, linked to gut bacteria imbalance. Isn't that really interesting? Like there's this gut component involved.
1: So moral of the story, heal the gut.
0: I know. <laughs> But going back to the internal triggers of skin barrier disruption, we also know that thyroid hormone plays a role and also estrogen plays a role. So like hormones are so, so important. So in regards to low thyroid hormone, it could lead to symptoms of dry skin. And what thyroid hormone um, is important for is that it's essential for controlling healthy epidermis development and function. And it's involved in um, skin cell production, wound healing and hair growth. And like what I said, it could lead to dry skin, but it could also lead to hair loss and many other symptoms that are seen in low thyroid. And then in regards to estrogen, estrogen plays a role in maintaining skin thickness, water content, and more. And low levels of estrogen have the potential to lead to skin thinning and transepithelial water loss or dry skin. And I was actually speaking to a pharmacist about estrogen, actually, and she was telling me that estriol, which is going to be... So there are different types of estrogen, listener. There's going to be estrone, which is E1, estradiol, E2, and estriol, which is E3. And which, what the pharmacist told me is that estriol is the one that's going to be important for the production of collagen in the skin. So that's really interesting. Um, and we do know that there are certain like functional tests that we can do as naturopathic doctors to really identify like what somebody's experiencing in regards to estrogen deficiency mm-hmm. and what types of estrogen deficiency they are experiencing.
1: Yeah, so let's dive into like the different skin conditions associated with a disrupted skin barrier. What kind of things are we seeing that are happening with the skin when our skin barrier isn't functioning like it should? Yeah, definitely.
0: I mean, we touched base on some of them already, um, but we're going to do like a deeper dive into them. But first of all, this is pretty much like plain and simple. A disrupted skin barrier could lead to dryness. Mm -hmm. But if you want to sound smart with your friends, you could call it xerosis.
1: Medical term. (laughs)
0: Medical terms. And basically, xerosis or skin dryness can happen because of just water loss from the skin. Um, and this can happen because, like what we said, changes to the skin barrier and its function. Um, and what we see in those with high um, transepithelial water loss is that there are reductions in natural moisturizing factors in the chemical layer and ceramide deficiencies in the physical layer. So that's one right there. And then the other one, which we spoke about earlier, is could be eczema. And actually, in eczema, all layers of the skin barrier are disrupted. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I and mean, this could lead to chronic and recurrent rashes with dry skin. And what we actually see in eczema is that there's an immunological component that changes like the ceramides and like these these proteins that play like an integral role in the physical layer and so much more. And in addition to that, we know that the microbiome layers also changed as well. Like people with eczema, um, uh, since the skin barriers, um, what is it, microbiome layers disrupted, there's a possibility of bacterial infections with Staphylococcus aureus or S. aureus. So that's another condition. And then... Another condition is going to be seborrheic dermatitis or dandruff. Honestly, mm-hmm. so dandruff is like a milder form of seborrheic dermatitis. But um, in regards to like seborrheic dermatitis, it's going to basically look like a red, scaly rash that can affect the face, the scalp, the upper chest, and back. And if honestly, it affects all ages, but especially like infants and those in uh, early adulthood. And in, in seborrheic dermatitis, it's basically a condition where there's a disrupted skin barrier, like what we said, and there's a change in the microbiome layer of the skin barrier, specifically with overgrowth of a yeast called melastasia. And Malassezia is going to be this yeast that produces lipase. And lipase is going to be an enzyme that breaks down the lipids in the skin. And that basically causes like immune chain reaction that leads to the generation of like inflammation and disruption in the cells of the physical barrier, of the skin barrier. And then it's going to be psoriasis. So psoriasis is going to be an autoimmune skin condition. And it's described as like skin symptoms with raised uh, red scaling oval like plaques on the skin. And they tend to happen in specific locations, actually. So the lower back, the elbows, the knees, the legs, the soles of the feet, the scalp, face and palms. And then in psoriasis, it is considered like a disruption of the skin barrier because literature shows that there are changes in the microbiome layer that leads to like provoking or like exacerbating the symptoms of psoriasis. And in addition to that, the physical layers is disrupted with increased cellular turnover of skin cells with immune layer activation. It's all really interesting. And then there's going to be rosacea as well. So rosacea, what we see in that is that it's going to be a chronic inflammatory condition of the skin. And it usually happens in parts of the skin where there's a lot of oil glands, which is really interesting. That then makes me curious to you know, because we had that conversation about like ant- the antioxidant layer, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, oh, is there something going on with antioxidants as well? That makes mm-hmm. me want to do some research. Yeah, But with rosacea, um, this inflammation usually leads to like symptoms of redness and dryness and what we see in rosacea is that there are changes in the chemical layer of the skin where there's a higher ph than normal and there's also increased trans epithelial epithelial water loss also interesting
1: yeah and then we have acne and the relationship between a damaged skin barrier so with acne studies have shown that there is a loss of diversity with the skin microbiota aka skin dysbiosis Meaning that there's just a shift in the balance between good and bad bacteria. And normally there is a variety of good, bad, and commensal bacteria that live on our skin naturally. And this goes beyond bacteria, but like also viruses and yeast, like normally reside on the skin. But what we don't want is when there's something that damages the skin barrier, for instance, and then like gives the other. Bad guys or I guess, the ones that usually don't cause problems to overgrow and cause issues. So this kind of happens to be an issue with acne. And what the research tells us is that there are actually different subtypes of cutie bacterium acnes, which is which is the bacteria that is associated with acne. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, it's not so much that this bacteria is present and it causes acne. It's more so an issue with the difference or an imbalance of the different subtypes of this bacteria. Interesting. Yes. So there's one in particular, Cutie bacterium acnes subspecies acnes. <laughs> I know. This one is the one that has been shown to induce inflammation and generate reactive oxygen species. And guys, remember those uh, cause damage to the cells.
0: Mm-hmm. They're pro
1: Yes. And there's another subtype, for example, Cutibacterium acne subspecies defendants, which has actually been shown to play a beneficial role in skin health.
0: Interesting. So
1: there's an issue with an imbalance of the different subtypes of that bacteria. And then secondly, we also see an increased permeability of the skin barrier. Now the skin barrier, you can think of it like our gut barrier in a sense where it is permeable. To an extent, meaning that only certain size molecules are able to pass through. Mm -hmm. And when there's a disrupted skin barrier, that permeability increases and allows things that normally wouldn't be able to get through to pass through Mm -hmm. and trigger like an inflammatory response or something. And so with acne, we see that this skin barrier is disrupted and there's a lack of ceramides in the lipid, a.k.a that layer of the skin and this leads to an increase in transepidermal water loss which ultimately results in dry skin mm-hmm. And then lastly, there are also some studies showing that certain topical treatments used for acne like benzoyl peroxide and topical retinoids and even oral isotretinoin can also impair skin barrier function by increasing that transepidermal water loss and resulting in some inflammation in the skin and increased skin sensitivity.
0: That's so interesting. And I was also reading like a study that was basically saying that people who have Increased trans-epithelial water loss tend to experience more severe symptoms of acne. While the study didn't really explain why, it was more like an association, Mm -hmm. like they just linked the two. Um, I wonder if it's due to like this lack of ceramides, you know? How, like, that water's not being trapped in and possibly the skin has to, like, overcompensate, you know? It's all really interesting. produce
1: more, Mm -hmm. or maybe it's producing too much sebum to kind of make up for that, which is pretty... Yeah.
0: That that is interesting. It's interesting to think about, although, like, we haven't seen any studies um, in regards to that. We don't really know for sure, but, like, now it makes me want to do some, like, deeper diving and we'll do, (laughs) do, like, another acne update with you guys in the future.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right, so... That was just a little overview of the different types of possible skin conditions associated with a damaged skin barrier. Now, how can we support skin barrier health starting with skincare?
0: Yeah. So there are some like general skincare recommendations, you know. So in regards to skincare, like there, I usually tell my patients consider five things um, to support their skin barrier. First of all, like patch testing for skin irritation. That's so important. Mm -hmm. Um, I usually tell people to just patch test on their arm. That's what you do, right? Yeah. And then also like to sometimes um, for my patients, I tell them to make sure that the pH of the product is as close as possible to skin pH, which is going to be four to six to prevent like disruption of the microbiome layer. Some um, skincare products do like say what the skin or what the product pH is on their um, labels. And then I also tell my patients to be mindful of like when they're like, oh, excessively exfoliating just because it could disrupt the physical layer. And then I also tell my patients like if you're using like a skincare product, that's like i um, making your skin like dry and tight. That's like telling us like, oh, you're losing too much water yeah. um,
1: from your skin. Does it doesn't mean squeaky clean. Mm-hmm. No.
0: Yeah. You don't want dry and tight. You don't want that. And you want your skin to actually feel great and hydrated after a cleanse. And then the last thing I always tell my patients is to remember to put on sunscreen and frequently reapply.
1: Sunscreen is so important, you guys. (laughs) I can't even tell you how many patients I talk to, like especially right before I'm doing injectables or something. I'm like, okay, what's your skincare routine like? Because there are certain skincare products that can make your treatments, you know, last a little longer in between sessions. And then I ask them about sunscreen or any kind of SPF and they're like, oh. Oh, no I don't really wear that and I'm like what are you doing
0: what do you mean you don't really wear that
1: are you serious <laughs> and I'm like you have to have to have to wear it yeah so in regards to just like a general skincare routine for skin barrier support Start with a cleanser and use something that's gentle and non-stripping. So something like a cream-based cleanser that's yeah. non-comedogenic too, so it's not clogging your pores, or maybe like a gel, a gentle gel-based cleanser too. Mm-hmm. And then using certain active, especially humectants. What's a humectant? And then using a moisturizer that has some emollients in it. So ceramides, for example, is a great emollient for the skin, especially because it is naturally found in the lipid barrier Mm -hmm. or the fat barrier of our skin barrier. So that is comprised of ceramides, cholesterol, and free fatty acids. So free fatty acids are another great compound to look for in skincare products. And then lastly, sunscreen. Don't forget the sunscreen. (laughs) At least an SPF of 30 or higher. And I personally like to use mineral-based sunscreen. That mm-hmm. I don't know about you, Dr. Bryant.
0: I mean, I, I spoke about how I love tretinoin. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you but, don't care? Whatever, um, no, like, chemical like or real mineral. talk,
0: I love mineral sunscreen more than chemical sunscreen, just because of, like, what the new 2019 FDA classification spoke about, sunscreen filters.
1: Gotcha. I'm surprised. <laughs>
0: I mean, I'm all about a balance at the end of the day, but in regards to like um, mineral sunscreens, it tends to be recognized as generally safe and effective or gross. And the actually, there's some like tips actually that I tell my patients in regards to sunscreen, just making sure you have like two finger lengths of sunscreen Mm -hmm. and then to apply over the face, to wait 30 minutes before going out. And then when you are outside, reapply every two hours. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then another thing in, in regards to cleansers that I tell my patients, like sometimes like considering a double cleanse would be really great. Oh,
1: I love double cleanse. <laughs> I think we talked about that. Be, yeah, we talked like about it during the
0: acne episode. episode. Oh my God. Yeah, double cleanse is really great at like really cleansing the skin, and but also keeping the skin hydrated and really supporting the skin barrier.
1: Yeah, great. So let's touch base on a few more specific skin conditions and mm-hmm. skincare support for that. So
0: from a conventional perspective, these are some things that like dermatologists might recommend, but as always speak to your doctor to see what's worth your while. So in regards to eczema, the general conventional approach to managing eczema is going to be eliminating allergens and maintaining skin hydration with moisturizers and optimizing like bathing practices. Like um, your water temperature is so important to consider, especially if you have have eczema, you don't want like um, water that's too hot, you know, and like being in that hot shower or hot bath for a prolonged period of time. And then in regards to contact dermatitis, which is basically like a allergic rash, surprise surprise try to avoid the irritant or the allergen but like it's really working with the provider to see what that allergen or irritant is you know because sometimes it can be really confusing to navigate and then in regards to psoriasis the conventional management approach is going to be the use of topical moisturizers and then with rosacea um, general recommendations include like mild skin cleansers avoiding irritating skin products like astringents toners abrasives and fragrances using a broad spectrum spf and avoiding triggers but yeah and now there's like some like internal support things that we can consider as well so mm-hmm. We always speak about this. As licensed naturopathic doctors, we see both sides to the coin in regards to integrative medicine. So it's seeing like the natural options, but also considering what the pharmaceutical conventional options are. And in regards to conventional and pharmaceutical options going to eczema, like we said, it's about like maintaining skin hydration, moisturization, optimizing bathing practices, but also there are certain pharmaceuticals that might be recommended, such as topical anti-inflammatories, topical corticosteroids, or even oral antihistamines. And for some individuals, oral corticosteroids might actually be be prescribed for like acute exacerbations of chronic eczema. And the reason why this might be recommended um, for some individuals um, is because. You don't want a skin infection like if eczema is really intense and a patient keeps on like scratching their skin they have a possibility for experiencing a skin infection but if they do end up experiencing a skin infection there are antibiotics that can be prescribed as well and then um, in regards to seborrheic dermatitis there are some like typical conventional management options that can involve um, antifungal shampoos or antifungal um, preparations but for more severe conditions from like a conventional perspective there's like topical salicylic acid coal tar interestingly enough cortic- corticosteroids and then with contact dermatitis. I mean, we already spoke about it, avoiding the irritant or the allergen, but there's also topical corticosteroids that might be recommended in addition to like moisturizing topicals. And then in regards to psoriasis, there's going to be like some pharmaceutical options for more severe psoriasis that can involve like oral retinoids, interestingly enough, methotrexate and cyclosporine. And then there's also like corticosteroid injections that might be recommended. And interestingly enough, did you know that some dermatologists might recommend ultraviolet therapy for individuals who experience psoriasis? Isn't that really interesting? Do you know why? No, I really don't. Okay. <laughs> And then in regards to rosacea, we already spoke about like the um, skincare stuff, but like beyond the skincare stuff, some oral options that a dermatologist might recommend, it's going to be like an oral retinoid, antibiotic, but there are also like some topical options such as like topical metronidazole, interestingly enough. Um, What we know about metronidazole is that it's also like an antimicrobial. And there's also azelaic acid, and then there's also like lasers as well that might be recommended. And then there's going to be hypothyroidism, so conventional management of hypothyroidism, much similar to. like naturopathic medicine it's going to be addressing the low thyroid and just like prescribing thyroid hormone however that's where kind of like naturopathic medicine and conventional medicine veer off so in conventional medicine they might use synthetic thyroid while in naturopathic medicine we may consider synthetic thyroid hormone or consider um, more bioidentical options depending upon what a patient's labs show and then in regards to acne go to episode two three and four to learn about what we would do for acne but there are some naturopathic options as well that we may consider. Right, Dr. Marola?
1: Yeah. So pretty much, if you're going to go see a dermatologist for some of those conditions, probably be prescribed corticosteroid, some sort of prescription medication, and then told to avoid the irritant. Yeah. So irritant. it's
0: very, like, symptom-based. But for some yeah. of these conditions, it's like they're addressing the root cause, like with hypothyroidism, you know?
1: Yeah, definitely. So now let's move on to some naturopathic options. Yeah.
0: So in regards to naturopathic philosophy, I'm sure already you already guys know this because we like... Nailed it in the coffin, I'm sure. We want to identify and address the underlying causes and triggers to somebody's skin experience. And we already spoke about some of these underlying causes and triggers. So from a naturopathic perspective, we do want to address as gently as possible with the foundations of health and wellness and then start to like really supplement when needed. So in regards to nutrition, we spoke about systemic contact dermatitis and um, really identifying somebody's food intolerances. And then we spoke about how the gut microbiome is connected to like some of these and changes in the skin barrier, like with eczema, what other ones, um, rosacea, and so much more. And we do know that after like, checking um, somebody's gut microbiome through like, functional tests, we have certain herbs or even plant extracts that can be used to really balance the gut microbiome. And sometimes you might even use a probiotic. It really depends on what's being displayed in front of us, given what labs show, and so much more. And then in regards to intraceuticals, I mean, I already touched base on probiotics, but there's also prebiotics too. We do know that prebiotics are so, so important because they play a role in the production of short-chain fatty acids. And short-chain fatty acids, interestingly enough, did you know that people with eczema have been shown to have changes in their gut microbiome, specifically in bacteria that produce short-chain fatty acids? So like adding in those prebiotics, which is basically like a fancy term for fiber, may be supportive for these short-chain fatty acids and also basically supporting the diversity of the gut. Microbiome and possibly helping out with skin health. That's also interesting. And there's also like omega 3 fatty acids, which may support the skin barrier health as well. And then there's also, like, I think we should touch base on this, Dr. Merola, collagen. I know a lot of people like to use collagen for skin hydration, fine lines and wrinkles, you know. And there is literature that actually suggests that daily supplementation of collagen may increase hydration in the skin, especially when combined with certain vitamins, specifically vitamin C. However, we're, like, still trying to understand, like, what's really going on. Because what we know about collagen is that it's a protein, right? Yeah. And proteins have a bunch of amino acids. And mm-hmm. when we consume it, we have to break it down into those amino acids.
1: Exactly. You, so it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to the skin.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting for some of these people, like in these scientific studies, like it makes me curious to know, like, is the collagen helping out because they had lower levels of amino acids from the get-go or not? We don't know. But we do know that there is a connection between taking collagen and how it supports skin hydration but we're still trying to understand the minutia in between.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't hurt. Collagen isn't a bad supplement, mm-hmm. especially if you're getting it from a reputable company yeah. that makes high-quality like exactly. products and stuff.
0: I'm telling you, they're with you. And then in regards to collagen, could we get it from bone broth? I think we could get collagen from bone broth, right?
1: I was looking into that. It was a while ago. I think you can, but it's not as much as if you were taking like a collagen like, supplement yeah. directly
0: from my understanding with collagen supplementation need like a few grams of it and in my head I'm just like how how many grams of collagen are actually like in a cup of bone broth? And then in regards to hormone replacement therapy I really spoke about this earlier like with hypothyroidism with hormone replacement therapy it's really like giving a patient more thyroid hormone if they do have labs confirming that they have low thyroid and in the naturopathic realm we have the option of using synthetic thyroid hormone or more like biomimetic um, thyroid hormone and depending upon what a patient's lab shows we may recommend one over the other and then in regards to estrogen there's also like biogenical um, estrogen therapies that might be recommended for people who have low estrogen and if their labs show low estrogen but, yeah, as a naturopathic doctor, as both naturopathic doctors, um, me and Dr. Marilyn Marola, we really wanted to identify the underlying cause and just like really address it with some integrative options. And integrative meaning natural and um, pharmaceutical options, you know? So, as always, like before you try any of these, just make sure you speak to your doctor to see what's worth your while at the mm-hmm. end of the day.
1: We hope that you guys in- really enjoyed this episode and learned a lot about the importance of the skin barrier. And the different ways that a conventional doctor or naturopathic doctor may approach addressing a dysfunctional skin barrier or these conditions associated with a damaged skin barrier. So. Yeah.
0: And in the future, we might even do a deep dive of some of these conditions that we spoke about. So just make sure to follow us on Instagram, but also check out our websites. All of those links will be in the podcast description. And then make sure to follow us on those social media accounts, but also make sure to subscribe to our podcast, guys. So in the future, like what we said, we're going to do a deeper dive on these skin barrier dysfunction conditions. But beyond that, make sure to also share this with your friends, family, skincare community um, who might be experiencing like skin barrier issues. They might find this really helpful. But thank you so much, guys. We will see you next week. It was awesome.
1: See you next week.
0: Bye.